0: Hey y'all and welcome to feasting on truth this is season 2 episode 10 I am Aaron Warren we are moving through the book of Hebrews this Advent reading through the lens of Jesus as our way maker throughout the book the author is pointing us to the fact that Jesus is better and he is worth following he's encouraging us to keep pursuing Jesus even in the face of hardship even in the face of persecution Today, we are in Hebrews 9, which is in a section of this letter where the author is pointing us to the truth that Jesus is the more and better sacrifice and the more and better tabernacle. In 2019, I did an in-depth study of the tabernacle, and wow, y'all, did it bring so much light to Hebrews, and I'm sharing more of that with you today. So let's get right to it. Here's Hebrews chapter 9. Jesus, you are the more and better tabernacle. You are the more and better sacrifice. And God, thank you for sending Jesus to us to make this way for us. God, I just find myself on my knees humbled by the verses that we find in Hebrews chapter 9. Lord, I just pray that... you will speak truth through me, Lord, that I will, um, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that is prepared and ready to understand that you would do what only you can do and teach us, Lord, through Hebrews chapter nine. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, we are marching through here in our study of Hebrews through Advent, and you may have noticed that the author of Hebrews writes this letter with the assumption that the reader already has a working knowledge of the tabernacle and the sacrificial system and the high priests and much of Jewish history. And since we live on this side of the cross, unless we've done a deep dive study on this, or maybe we grew up in a Jewish household, um, we can often kind of miss the meaning because we don't have the background context. Um, it's why I feel like context work is so important when we study scripture, uh, because we have to remember that um, we are living 2000 years, 1800 years after it was written and so um, particularly in this section of scripture and particularly in hebrews and um the author is pointing to jesus being the more and better tabernacle or the true tent and the more and better sacrifice um it helps to have a little bit of the background context information about what he's talking about And in chapter nine, he starts off with this list of the piece of furnishings that are found in the tabernacle. And so I'm going to kind of go through those and give you a quick overview, kind of a crash course, so that you have the context needed to fully understand what he is saying in our reading today in Hebrews nine, and how Jesus um, was our way maker. So the tabernacle As we've talked about, um, the instructions were given to Moses on Mount Sinai when he received the Ten Commandments. And God very specifically said, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst and make it exactly according to the pattern in which I give you. And so then he gives Moses the plans for this tent. And um, it included... Um, the materials that need to be used, the dimensions for each piece of furnishing, very specific instructions on how everything would be purified and consecrated. They would be made holy so that God, in His kindness, could come and dwell in the midst of the people. Because remember, if we behold the glory of God without a covering over our sin, because we are unholy, we would die. And so. This whole process to make the way for us to have um, to be able to dwell with God is rooted in his kindness to us. And so um, the tabernacle had three main parts, the courtyard, the most the holy place and the most holy place. In the courtyard, the first piece of furniture that you came across or that they would approach is the, bronze or the brazen altar. This is where the daily sacrifices took place. And there were many types of offerings, burnt offerings, sin, guilt offerings, peace offerings, um, meal or grain offerings. And they all represented different things, covering of sin, um, surrender to God, thanksgiving, fellowship. Um, They could only sacrifice an animal without blemish. And it kind of symbolized that Something that did not deserve the punishment took the punishment for someone else. Jewish people were well acquainted with the cost of their sin. I did a study of the tabernacle a couple of years ago. And one of the things about the brazen altar, the bronze altar, that really stuck out to me was the fact that as they were preparing the sacrifice, the people watched the blood of the animal spill for their sin. So they were well acquainted with this idea that something that was pure and blameless that did not deserve punishment would take on and shed its blood to cover their deserved punishment. So I want you to keep all of this in the back of your mind, because we're going to come back to it at the end. So the next Um, piece of furniture in the courtyard was the labor or the bronze basin. It was made of bronze mirrors that were donated by women. Um, You can read in Exodus how as they exited um, Egypt, the Israelites um, were took with them and were given gifts by the Egyptians. Um, And God took those and they were contributing, um, giving offering of what they took out of Egypt to build. That's where they got the materials to build this tabernacle. And so this basin was made um, by these bronze mirrors that were donated by the women. Um, And so it's, Both practical, but also spiritually significant, because sacrifices were messy business. And after a sacrifice, you needed to wash. Um, But also, it was the place where priests would cleanse themselves before they entered the holy place. The mirrors would remind them that God not only sees their outward appearance, but also their hearts. And it's how they purified or sanctified um, themselves. And we see in this courtyard both blood and water. And how both blood and water were necessary to cleanse the people of their sin. Um, after that, you would enter into the, te- the actual tent, which was the first part was called the holy place. Um, and we'll see in here that the materials shift from bronze to gold. So as you're getting closer to where the presence of God dwells, the materials are getting finer and more costly and more valuable. The holy place and most holy place were shrouded with several layers of different types of animal skin. And so, um, practically, it was dark. And so, the first piece of furniture that you would walk to in the holy place was the golden lampstand because they needed light. And the practice, so that's the practical side of it. Um, It is a very unique piece because multiple other pieces were made of wood and covered with um, gold or bronze. The golden lampstand was hammered out of one solid piece of gold. It had six branches coming off one centerpiece and had a total of seven lamps atop. Um, it did not burn wax, it burned oil. Um, oil in the Bible often represents the Holy Spirit and so um, there is this lamp points us to the Holy Spirit, um, and then after that, across from the golden lampstand um, was the table of shoe bread or the bread of the presence. Now, bread to them in their culture, and even today in some Middle Eastern cultures, is not like the bread that we think of. We think of bread as. The bonus side that comes with our meal. Um, We are like, oh, great, there's bread while we're waiting for the meat. Um, But bread represented the very essence of their life, the very essence of their nutrition. Um, When God gave them manna in the wilderness, it was a reminder that He would provide for them. It was a reminder of His covenant with them. He provided exactly what they need. Um, I recently watched a um, parts of a documentary on Netflix, um, called cooked by, um, it's based on a book by Michael Pollan, and it's, um, it's not a Christian book, but y'all watching the importance of bread. One of the episodes is called air and it focuses on bread making and particularly in the middle East the importance of bread to life, that bread in and of itself, a kernel of grain has everything that is needed to sustain life. And so this was the very essence of provision for them. It wasn't just the bonus happy thing that they got. It was the very foundation of their nutrition. Next was the altar of incense. And um, you see here in Hebrews, it talks about the altar of incense being beyond the veil, but um, most believe that it actually was before the veil um, in the most holy place, or I mean in the holy place, not the most holy place. Um, It was a special mixture of spices and incense that was to burn continually. And it symbolized the prayers of the priest rising to God on behalf of the people. Um, And then was the most holy place. The most holy place is where God's glory dwelt. It was at the very center of camp. It was common for kings to um, set their camp in the very center of the camp of their army. And so um, similarly, God positions himself at the center of camp. And that is where Moses went to meet with God. Um, it is separated off by a curtain and it was a perfect cube, 10 cubits by 10 cubits by 10 cubits. This curtain or veil separated the presence of God from the rest of the tabernacle. And only one time a year on the day of atonement could the high priest who was the top priest go behind the curtain, and that is where they would make atonement for the sins of the people for the year. So they have these daily sin offerings, but then one day a year, they had this day of atonement, also called Yom Kippur, where they would make a sacrifice that would cover the sins, kind of anything that we forgot, and it was kind of a yearly reset. So behind this curtain was the Ark of the Covenant. Now that's a piece of furniture most of us probably know thanks to Indiana Jones. Um, But here's, um, no one was allowed to touch it. It had poles with which you could carry it. It was made of acacia wood and overlaid with gold. And inside of it were the stone tablets with the Ten Commandments, a jar of manna, and Aaron's staff that budded. And all three of these reminders remained with the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of it was the mercy seat. Now, um, the mercy seat is um, also called the atonement cover. It was made of gold and it had two cherubim with their wings cast out over the top. And this was where God's glory dwelled. Um, It wasn't necessarily where his throne. Most people think of it more as his footstool, but it was the place where his glory dwelled, where they, um, where God would meet with his people. That's where, when it talks about dwelling in their midst, that's where he dwelled. And as I said, on this day of atonement, on Yom Kippur, um, the priest, after a strict purification ritual, Would enter the holy of holies. He would um, light the incense, or you do something with the incense that made the smoke rise, and it would kind of block his view of the glory of God. And he would enter into the holy of holies to make atonement for the sins. And I kind of alluded to this earlier in our study of Hebrews. But um, if you want to listen to a more in-depth teaching, um, I did during that tabernacle study. I taught on the Holy of Holies and Yom Kippur. Um, and I'll link to that YouTube video in the show notes. But really at the um, one of the biggest elements of this was the two goats. One would be the sacrifice for the Lord. One would be the scapegoat or the one that would be the physical representation of God removing the sins of the people. And so he would sprinkle the blood of the, the one that was sacrificed onto the mercy seat of God. And then they would take this other goat and lead them through, lead it through camp out into the wilderness. And it was a physical reminder to them that they had been purified, that God had removed their sin. And there's a couple of distinctions I want to um, show to tell y'all about in this tabernacle before we dive into today's verses. Is one, Most temples to gods during this time had beds in them where they would put their God to bed. There is no bed in the tabernacle of the Lord because he never sleeps or slumbers and he is always working. Um, And there is no image of God. So most temples would have some sort of image or statue or likeness of their God but not the tabernacle. It had the place where his glory dwelled, but there was no image of God. And so those are two really important distinctions about the Jewish tabernacle um, as it relates to other types of temples of the day. So the first 10 verses of Hebrews kind of take us through this process. And in verse 11, we get one of my favorite transitions ever in scripture, but when Christ appeared, it's this transitional phrase that says this was the old but then Christ came and everything changed and that's where we're going to pick up verse 11 but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is of this creation he entered once for all into the holy places not by the means of blood and calves of goats not by the means of the blood of goats and calves but by the means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of the heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh how much more will the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish pure to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God Jesus as the high priest has appeared and he did not enter the tabernacle that was created by human hands but he entered into the more perfect tent. He came from heaven as the high priest of God's tent, and he entered into the holy places, not daily, once for all. And I love that juxtaposition that he gives, that that the other priests were constantly entering into the holy places, but Jesus had to enter once. And he did it for all people and all sin. And this is what gets me every time, particularly in Hebrews 9, and we're going to see it again in 10. He didn't enter through the blood of goats or calves or bulls. He entered by his own blood. Romans 6, 9 through 11 says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because of Christ Jesus, we also are no longer slaves to sin. Because he secured eternal redemption. I love that phrase from verse 12. It's one of my favorite names of Jesus, that he is a redeemer. It means that um, the Greek word for redemption here, it means to release by paying the ransom. Y'all, we were slaves to sin and he paid the ransom that set us free from that slavery to sin. But get this, y'all, it is even deeper than simply paying the price for someone else's freedom you pay a ransom to someone to get back what was yours. The root word of redemption comes from a Greek word that means to restore something back into the possession of its rightful owner, rescuing from the power and possession of an alien possessor. You were not merely bought at a price. You were redeemed and returned back to your rightful owner. No longer are you um, slaves to sin and death, but now you have come back under the possession of the living God and his redemption of you is not only secure, it's unending. Don't miss this. The Greek word for eternal means without beginning or end, that which has always been and always will be. His death made it so that those who follow him, their redemption, it has no expiration. It has no beginning point. It's as if you have always been redeemed from the foundation of the world and will continue to be redeemed forever and ever. And it's all because he came and he became the more and better sacrifice we're going to jump down to verse 24. And I know this was, this was the longest passage of these 13 um, chapters through Hebrews through this advent, but Oh goodness, they were so good. And I didn't want you to miss this verse 24 for Christ has entered, not into the Holy place made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf, Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with the blood not of his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared, here's my phrase, once for all, at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Christ goes before the Father on our behalf. He is the mediator of this better covenant. He is the more and better sacrifice. He is the more and better tabernacle, the true tent. And the author goes on to describe the events of the day of atonement and that Jesus didn't enter the most holy place like the other priests did with the blood of that goat. Those priests were not pure and blameless. And so they had to offer a blood that was not their own. Instead, he entered once for all by the sacrifice of himself. And in doing so, he put away sin. That word literally means it no longer has a place. It's a cancellation, it's an annulment. The sin no longer has a place in your life, when he is your redeemer. And I love verse 26. Here's what's so incredible about the tabernacle. Because if you trace the steps of the priests through the tabernacle, through that process that I described at the beginning of this teaching, it forms the shape of a cross it was never meant to be the forever way it was meant to point us to the perfect way maker jesus the bronze altar shows us that jesus is the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world that's from john 1:29. he was the perfect sacrifice and his sacrifice not only covered all of the past sins committed but every sin yet to be committed the bronze laver shows us that Jesus is the one who washes our way on, or washes away our sin. And y'all, when he was on the cross and they pierced his side, both blood and water flowed from his body. Being pure and holy, he washed away our sin. Purity and washing were such a huge part of Jewish culture. And on this side of the cross, what washes us clean is his word it's his word that sanctifies us john 17:17 17, 17 says sanctify them by truth your word is truth we must cling to truth and allow it to do a sanctifying work in us the lampstand shows us John 8, 12. Jesus is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness. John 1, 5. His light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. The bread of the presence. Not only is Jesus the bread of life, he is life. He is essential. He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. At the Last Supper, Jesus compared the bread to his body, which he gives to us, so that in him we may have life. Not life sustained necessarily for our physical life, but he is the bread that provides eternal life. No one can find eternal life apart from Jesus. The altar of incense shows us that Jesus is our mediator, the intercessor, um, our intercessor before God, that salvation comes through him. And in the most holy place, Jesus was the place where God's glory dwelled with us. He is Emmanuel. John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is God's glory dwelling among us. He was full of grace and truth, full of the glory of God. Through his blood, our hearts have been sprinkled clean. We're going to see that in Hebrews 10. And our sins have been removed. He put away sin by his blood once for all. Verse 27, and just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Advent comes from the Latin word meaning coming. And it's not only a time to remember his coming, to be God with us at Christmas, to become our waymaker but that he is coming again to remember that this world is not our home I have clung to that hope of Jesus coming again in a year of hard the verses of revelation continue to remind me that this is not what it was meant to be that there is coming a day when he will come again and he will Bring us all into a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more crying and no more sadness. And I know Jesus felt that too. I know he saw us lost in our hopelessness and he wanted to do something about it. In Mark 7, as Jesus is about to heal a man who was deaf mute, it says he sighed. And that word has this intonation that this is not how it was meant to be. It's the same word used for groaning in Romans 8, starting in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Our world, our our own souls are groaning, they are sighing, knowing that this was not the way it was meant to be. And knowing that one day there will be a new birth where our, our, our earth will be redeemed and our bodies will be redeemed. And we know that this is that firm, secure, not disappointing hope that we have studied. We have hope in him. And y'all, the waiting is not easy but we are eagerly waiting for it but in the waiting and in the hardship hebrews 2:1 we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard or we drift away we must remember that jesus is the more and better sacrifice he is the more and better tabernacle He didn't sacrifice just any animal. He didn't even sacrifice a pure and blameless animal. He sacrificed himself. He entered into the most holy place and did what had never been done before. He secured eternal redemption once for all and put away sin for eternity. I know this passage was a long one, but it just got me. I cannot get over the language of him securing an eternal redemption, that Jesus has appeared not daily, not every day, making the same sacrifice over and over and over, but he appeared once for all, and he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. I cannot get over what Jesus did becoming the way to life for us. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life, Lord, for being God's glory dwelling among us, God, for being who you are and what you did, Lord, that you returned us to our rightful owner that you paid the price, you paid the ransom, God, so that we could be delivered from sin and death into the kingdom of light. God, thank you for coming. And thank you that we have a secure, firm hope that you are coming again and that those who walk in your light will never walk in darkness, but God, that we secure an eternity with you. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And it's your name I pray. Amen.